All right, ready for the end of the next to the last week, right? In fact, 10 days from now is the final exam. How's that? I'd love to decorate for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we have, I know a bunch of you turned it in already. We have an article review. The last one is due today. Give me something to grade this weekend. Along with your exam makeups, if you're doing that, make sure you turn that in to me today. Again, both of those can be emailed to me. So send them by email if you like. That's fine. And go ahead and, and I'll look at them. Hopefully, start looking at them this weekend. I want to get your article reviews done, mainly because I know you have another big project coming up the next week, and I don't want to have all of them trying to deal with final exam week. So we have those two coming up due. And then homework eight, quiz eight, and your observations are all due next Friday, one week from today. I, will ha I do have your, the observation, the, the in-class assignment that we did on Wednesday. I have those ready for you. Grades have already been put in for them. Pretty much everybody got a 12. So yay, we love those kind of assignments since we pretty much walk through it as a group. But you have that, and then I'll give that back to you with this after in lab section in case you want to go over the exam, in case you want to go over it or work on it this weekend. All right, questions on assignments? No? All right. Picture of the day for today is a solar eclipse. So do you know we had a solar eclipse a week ago? No. Well, it was t this was in Antarctica, so unless you were planning on a little bit of traveling down there to actually see it, you weren't going to see it. It was only visible from the very southern tip of the Earth. You had to be way down, I think it was, I don't even know if you could have seen it from the southernmost points of South America. It had to be way down in Antarctica. This was actually taken in Antarctica. And it was only a partial solar eclipse, but it was our fourth solar eclipse of the year. We actually had four solar eclipses this year. That can happen. Usually you get at least two of them. But we get four of them sometimes, but when you get four of them, you don't get the spectacular eclipses. You don't, get the, you don't get the total eclipse. When you get four of them, you end up getting partial eclipses. And that's about as eclipsed as the sun got this time, a week ago. So if that were to happen here in Harrisburg tomorrow, it can't because of the alignments on the moon and everything, obviously. But you wouldn't even notice it unless you looked up at the sun. But if you were just, if that were that much of the sun would be blocked out and you were just walking down the street even on a bright sunny day, as long as you don't look up at the sun, you'd never know the difference. It takes blocking out more than 90% of the sun, 90, 95% before you actually start to noticeably get dark. And it'll get, if you block out the whole sun, then it will get completely dark. And that's when the birds start to, or the crickets start to chirp and think it's nighttime and everything. So you can really confuse them for a few minutes there. And it would get completely dark when it is blocked for about, up to about eight, nine minutes. It's about the maximum eclipse that you can have. But we will get some, and th these ones just occur when you get them at the edge of each cycle. If you remember, there was that there range of about a month, which was the eclipse season, when you could have an eclipse. So if you get one right at the beginning and one right at the end, you're going to get two partial eclipses. And if you get one in the middle, then you get one nice big total eclipse. But unless we were planning a trip and Hack wasn't paying to send us all to Antarctica to see a partial solar eclipse. So, Questions? Or we can make a little bit of a jump out to the universe. Go from Antarctica to the edge of the universe. Actually, let me, I was going to do one first. Let me put up this. There was one little video I was going to do first. So let me go ahead and start that. And then I'll go back in instead of jumping in and out of the there we go. Okay. So just an interesting sort of a little different way to think about the universe. 
And I like the way she does the thinking about the explanation as to how the universe began, that there was nothing. Because we tend to think of it, we do tend to think of it as an explosion in a conventional sense. We think of it as something blowing up. But it's a completely different type of explosion in terms of what actually happened. It was actually creating. It wasn't an explosion in space. As she said, it was not an explosion in space. It was an explosion that created space and time in the first place. So before that explosion, there was nothing. There was nothing there. So sort of an interesting way to think about that. I kind of like that little video. So, okay. Finish this where you're finishing up last time. We were looking at talking about the expanding universe and the Big Bang. And we looked at the example. And again, you're going down a dimension here. So we're trying to, when we talk about the universe, the universe is three-dimensional or more expanding out into space. When we try to think about it, the way we can think about it is by taking it down a dimension. So we can think about it in terms of two dimensions and the surface of a balloon. So if you imagine yourself confined to the surface of a balloon and blowing that balloon up, every object gets a little bit further away from every other object as the balloon gets bigger and bigger. There's no special location here. As I told you, we talked about Hubble's law. It didn't matter who was doing the observing. It didn't matter whether we were doing the observing and every other galaxy was expanding away from us, or if we were in one of those distant galaxies, we'd get exactly the same measurements. And you can sort of see that here. If you look at, pick out one of the coins, if you pick the center one there, yeah, everything's getting further away from it, but it doesn't matter which coin you pick. If you look at this one, well, every galaxy is getting further, every other coin is getting further away from it as well. And the further coins are away, the further they'll be expanding. So what you look at in this, in terms of this, is that there's no, there is no surface to the universe. So there's no edge to the, really no edge to the universe, only the edge to what we can see. And there's no center. If you're confined to the surface, if you're stuck on this two-dimensional balloon surface, then there's no center. There is no set. You can walk around that balloon forever and never find an edge and never find a center to it. Okay, so that's where we finished up last time. We can use the same thing to explain the part of the redshift. Now, this is not the redshift. Okay. Not the redshift we talked about in terms of the Doppler effect, with, in terms of things moving away from us that we do see as well, but it's also, there's also a redshift. In, ter- in cosmology. So a redshift in terms of the stretching of the wavelengths of light. So when the explosion that ac- created the universe and everything in it occurred, it was extremely hot, extremely high energy, producing high energy gamma rays. As the universe expands, it's stretching all of those wavelengths out. So the cosmological redshift that we see is stretching these short wavelengths over time into much, much longer wavelengths, which means, and we'll come back to this in a slide or two, that we can still see the Big Bang. It's just been stretched. When it occurred, it was extremely high energy gamma rays that when it occurred, but over 14 billion years, it has stretched outward, and those wavelengths have been lengthened and lengthened and lengthened, and now we see it in the radio part of the spectrum. But we can actually see the remnant of the Big Bang there. It's still there. It still occurred. It's everywhere in space at one time. So it didn't occur in one specific spot. It occurred, again, everywhere. It created the entire universe. Okay, that clicker's not working today. So we can do general relativity. 
get out our group theory and all that fun stuff and you know the real fun math not just the, not just a little bit we've been doing here we're not going to do that of course in this class but we can understand some of it we, so we can, we, there's still some parts we can understand, some ideas of the history of the universe, what its shape might be like. We can try to understand some of that without going mathematical. And just most of what you'll find I give you, though, takes things down a dimension. You know, you consider a three-dimensional universe, right? Up and down and left and right and forward and back. Well, we're going to take it down to two dimensions so you can actually try to imagine it. Because if you try to imagine a three-dimensional universe curved into a fourth one, I don't know, my brain just doesn't go there. So. But if you take it down to, I can think of a balloon and I can see how the balloon is curved or how a saddle shape is curved. So we can look at those different shapes and try to get an understanding of what might happen in a fourth dimension. And actually, if you go up to the string, what are they up to? 11, dimension, 11 plus dimensions nowadays that they're, you know, they're folded in on each other. So it's not just three or four. It's, it gets even harder to imagine, not just you know, try to imagine that space is curved or that there's some direction that you can look that's perp simultaneously perpendicular to all three of the directions you're used to. You know, it doesn't make sense to us, but it does from a two-dimensional point. You, you, know, you can imagine that, okay, you're stuck on the surface of that balloon, but you can imagine looking up or down below, above or below the balloon. You can't do that. We can't imagine that unless you've got a real good imagination. I hope someone does, but not me. Okay. So what can happen to the universe? What we can look at? There are two things that can happen to the universe in the future. It's expanding right now. We said that. Hubble measured the expansion of the galaxies. They're all moving further away from each other. So it's got two choices. It can keep expanding or it can collapse. So two possible futures for the universe. It either expands forever and everything keeps getting further and further away and you come back in 100 billion years and everything is you know, spread out and you don't, there's not much less than the night sky. Or it could collapse. It could stop expanding and it could collapse. So when we throw a, you throw a ball up into the air, it starts to, it's, it, it's a similar thing. You think about it that way, throw a ball up in the air, it goes up higher. The higher, faster you throw it, the higher it gets. Most of the time it turns right back down and comes back to us, right? But if you shoot a rocket off with enough speed, it leaves the Earth. Does the Earth ever stop pulling on it? No. Doesn't matter how far away it gets in the universe, the Earth is always going to pull on it. The Earth is pulling on the most distant quasar. Not a very strong force because the distance is so large, but it never gets away from the Earth's, from the Earth's gravity, but it, keep, but, it, but it will keep expanding. So these are the two examples. It could keep expanding forever. That rocket, it could keep getting away. If we give it enough speed, it will keep going forever. It's reached what we call the escape velocity, and it can continue to, to escape. Or it might turn around and collapse. It might turn around and come back to Earth. It didn't quite escape. Now, if we go by just gravity, it depends on what the density of the universe is. And the density of the universe is, no matter what it is, is extremely small. You know, densities that we're used to on Earth are incredibly large in terms of the universe because of all the empty space out there. So when you average in you know, high densities, you've got lots of rocks and metals and people and everything here with reasonably high densities on the Earth, and you average that out with all the empty space around it that's nothing, you end up with an incredibly small density. But depending on exactly what that number is, if it's very low, that's the, that's the rocket taking off into space. It just keeps going. Earth is still, we're, we're still pulling on it. We're trying to pull it back. All the galaxies are pulling on each other and trying to pull each other back together. 
You know, Andromeda's pulling us, we're pulling on it, we're pulling on all those distant galaxies and clusters. But if it's expanding fast enough and there's not enough gravity, if it's a low density, then it keeps expanding forever. It would just keep slowing down, right? It would slow down a little bit at a time. Of course, that's a key point we come back to next time if it really is slowing down. But it should slow down because we're, everything's pulling on each other. That's the force. So it should slow down. They should move slower and slower. But if everything is moving fast enough, they'll get away. Essentially, they'll escape from each other. And in this case, the universe expands outwards forever. And it just gets very cold and dark many hundreds of billions of years from now. Because all the stars die, right? You know, star formation in the galaxy eventually runs out. And the stars, the lower mass stars, continue to, to die. So you'd have very little left in the universe. It would be a very cold, dark universe. The other possibility is you have a higher density universe. You have a lot of matter in the universe. So you not only, you're slowing down those galaxies that are trying to run away from you, but you actually stop them. So at some point they stop. You know, we throw something up in the air, it's trying to get away, it stops for an instant and comes back down. The galaxies could do the same thing if there's enough matter there. So if there's enough matter, eventually we'll stop, start them, stop them. And if they stop, what's going to happen? They're going to start pulling back together. Right? If you stop something and there's gravity pulling on it, it's not just going to sit there. There's still a force pulling on it and it's going to start collapsing back together. So instead of a cold, dark universe, this one ends a little more violently. This universe would ultimately collapse and everything would come back down to that single point. Again, where it started. So if you have enough matter, then that would be the case. It would expand, it would expand for a little bit. We may not be to the full, we're not to the full expansion yet because we still see galaxies moving away from us. But if there's enough matter, it'll eventually it'll stop and everything will start getting closer to close, closer and closer together. So maybe if you come back here in 50 billion years, then you'd find out. So the easy way to do it is to time travel forward 50 billion years and see what the universe is like, right? Can't quite do that, but we can make some measurements to try to find out. Now, we said there's two different fates for the universe. It can do two things. We actually call them, we actually split it kind of up into three. So we had, we have a closed universe. And a closed universe is the one that collapses. Closed universe has the high density. So it has a high density. It's got enough to stop the expansion. It's got enough matter to stop the expansion and pull everything back together. There's also an open universe, which is, expands forever. And that's a low density. So it keeps going on and on. It keeps going on. It just keeps expanding. It's never going to get away. We send that rocket out to explore one of the outer planets and it goes and it just keeps going and it escapes the solar system eventually. It gets away. That's the example you get there. In between, there's a critical case. There's what you'd call a flat universe. And that expands barely barely expands forever. It never, st- it never quite stops, but it slows down and slows down and slows down. And that's what we call the critical density. And really, it's just the borderline between the two 
major possibilities. So in the critical universe, you'd expand and you'd stop expanding after an infinite amount of time. So it would take forever, but you'd slow down and slow down and slow down. And actually, an infinite amount of time later, you'd stop. And of course, then I would have my four-year-old tell me, as I tell her when I, she tells me when I tell her I love her infinity, she sits there and goes, infinity is not even a number. And you ask her what it is, and she says, it's a concept. So, yeah. So, but that's what would happen. It would expand forever, just barely. It would stop after an infinite amount of time. So, she loves that when I talk about her in class. So. But those are our three possibilities. Those are the three things that can happen depending on, and the density just means how much matter there is in the universe. Okay, let's see if this is. So, what does the universe look like? If it's a closed, it's sort of a spherical shape, sort of like the surface of a globe, but again, not multi-dimensionally spherical. So not just as this universe isn't like a big ball and we can think of that, well the universe is a big ball, well where's the edge of it? It's spherical in another dimension to the next dimension. So our little bit of it we see, but you don't, you know, it's a different, the way the curvature works is sort of like being confined again to the surface of the sphere, but only being able to look north, south, and east, west, and you can't look up and down. You can only look north, south, and east, west. There's another dimension there. Well, ours is the same. We can look north, south, east, west, and up and down, but we can't look the other two, next two dimensions. We have no way to look that way. But that would be if we have enough density in the universe, the universe would be a closed shape and something that would eventually start collapsing. If you have that, you get some interesting things that happen. You know, the shortest path. If you've ever flown overseas, right? If you ever fly to Japan or you fly to Europe, you don't go straight. If you fly from you know, New York to Japan or Chicago to Japan, and my sister lives there and she does all the time, they fly up over Alaska. Why? It would seem like that's a lot longer, but that's actually the shortest route. Well, technically, no. The shortest route is actually digging a tunnel and going through the Earth in a straight line to it. But because the Earth is curved, the shortest path is actually going here from Los Angeles to London is actually a curved path would take you up well over northern Canada and Greenland and not what you'd think would be maybe straight across, you know, across the United States and then across the Atlantic there. The shortest path is, all, is, is, the differ, is different than what you'd normally think of because of the way it's curved. So you end up with that. You also end up with the fact that if you add up, if you make a triangle in a spherical universe, and you add up the angles, if you remember from geometry, all the angles of a triangle add up to 180 degrees, right? So you add up the three angles, you get 180 degrees. Not so on a sphere. If you make a sphere, you can actually, on a sphere, you can actually make a triangle with three right angles. So you can actually make a triangle as shown here with 270 degrees. The flat geometry works real well. I'm not throwing out all the geometry you learned. It works real well as long as you're working with a flat surface. But the universe might be differently shaped and triangles may be different. So you might actually have curved triangles with like this where you can actually get three right angles at one time. And finally, so that's a flat, that's a spherical. This is flat. If it's exactly the critical density, that's more like a piece of paper. Question, yes sir? Is that what, um, to consider like sacred geometry? 
Could be what? I'm sorry? Sacred geometry. Sacred? I'm yeah, I don't know if you heard that. I have not. I'm not familiar with it, yeah. I'd have to look at that one, I don't know. So, flat universe would be more like a piece of paper. Again, piece of paper in three, three dimensional piece of paper, not a flat piece of paper, two dimensional. No, got to, got to imagine that extra dimension on it. But that would essentially be a flat universe. That's exactly the critical density. And the other one is considered more of a saddle. Saddle shape. And if you make that triangle on a saddle instead, the sum of the angles is actually less than 180 degrees. You can actually get these real pointy. You can get three very pointy angles on it. Mm, excuse me. So we can get a couple different shapes. And again, it all depends on how much matter there is in the universe. So how much matter there is there tells us the density and tells us what the universe is going to do. Is it going to expand forever? Is it going to collapse? It all depends on how much matter there is in the universe. If you're in a closed universe, again, it's sort of like being on the Earth. You can travel off in one direction and come back the other way. Okay, you get a little bit wet, right? If you try to do that on the Earth. But technically, if it was a solid, if we didn't have the oceans, you could sit there and you could start walking east and keep walking due east and come back exactly where you started. You'd never reach an end of the Earth. Same thing with the universe. If it's a closed universe, you can keep going forever. You could travel off in one direction. We can send the Voyager probe out in one direction, the Pioneer probes out, and they'll go around and they'd eventually, how many trillions of years later, because they're not moving very fast, but come back around where they started. So they'd make a complete loop around. Same thing with a light beam. You could shine the light beam out and it would go around and come right back to you. But even the light beam only travels at the speed of light. So if it takes, if the universe, if the edges, the furthest parts of the universe we can see are 12 and 13 billion years to go all the way around is going to take you a long, long time. So can't shine the flashlight out today and wait for the signal to come back. So what's going to happen? It depends on the, de- again, it depends on the density. How much matter is there in the universe? And that's the big thing. When we count the the luminous matter, what we see, all the stars, all the galaxies, all the planets, all the nebulae, all the stuff we've studied pretty much so far in the class, it says we're very far over in the open universe. We're not even close. There's not near enough matter to stop the expansion. So if we just count what we can see, all, and that's all those galaxies, everything we looked at there, all the clusters of galaxies, all the stars within them, all the planets, the black holes, everything else, Everything that we've been able to study, you know, this counts, this includes all the, those billion solar mass black holes at the center of the active galaxies. That's all included in here. We're not even close. We only have a few percent of the density. So, you know, three, four, five percent of what we need to make the universe stop expanding. That's all we have. So we're, that puts us very firmly in an open, in an open universe based on just the luminous matter. But there's a lot of other stuff. Remember we talked about we talked about the galaxies and we said that there's a lot of dark matter and that in terms of for every galaxy that we see and we see our galaxy and it has so many stars but for all that there has to be at least three more galaxies worth of material around it just to account for how it's moving. To account for how the stars move we need triple the amount of matter that we can actually see. So there is a lot of dark matter out there 
And the question is, is that dark matter going to be enough to bring us up to the critical density or over it in terms of the point where it actually changes what the potential fate of the universe will be? Now in the long run for us, it really doesn't matter because unless we're going to live for billions and billions of years, we're not going to know the difference. But it's still to know what is going to, it's interesting to know what might happen. And what we're going to find out, jump ahead a little bit, is that it's completely different actually. There's actually something else going on that has been more recently discovered that is actually doing things differently and we really don't understand a lot of what's going on. So take the dark matter, all the dark matter, and that was all the dark matter to keep the galaxies bound together, explain how their stars orbit. It was all the dark matter to explain how the clusters of galaxies stayed together, why they didn't go flying apart in terms of gravity, to explain all the gravitational lensing that we see. We looked at that the last time. We looked at the gravitational lensing. And that says, well, maybe we've got about 30% of what we need. So that still means we're missing 70% of the matter we need. If we want to get up just to a flat universe, we still need more than, what, three times, more than three times the matter we already count. And that's counting all the dark matter, all the matter that we don't see but we know has to be there gravitationally. We're still up, we're a little bit higher, we're above the 3 and 4% range, we're up into about the 30% range, but we're still well below anything that's going to stop the expansion. It does not look like there'd be near enough of the dark matter to make that density to reach the critical density. So it doesn't look like there's enough. So right now, what I've given you so far, we're still, we're still down here. Now it's not that one is good or bad or anything, that we're trying to get to the other one, you know, trying to say, oh, the universe should be closed or should be open, it's just a different fate. It's just for different fate. You know, there's, there's fire and ice. You're either going to collapse down to a very hot universe at the end and it's going to heat up and you know, everything collapse together or it's going to all spread apart and cool, and cool off. But what we're finding, and remember type 1 supernovae we talked about before. Type 1 supernovae with those little white dwarf stars that got a little bit too massive and they couldn't hold themselves up anymore and they blew themselves apart. They're all exactly the same type of star that blow up. They're all a white dwarf star. They're all 1.4 times the mass of the sun. That's the limit they can have. If they collect a little extra matter over that, they become unstable. The electrons that were pushing them apart, holding the pieces apart, holding it stable, can no longer hold it. It collapses. Starts igniting nuclear reactions simultaneously and tears the star apart. The good thing was that they can tell us the distance because they're all exactly the same type of star that's blowing up. So they're all going to get just as bright. They should get identical brightness. So if we see one in a nearby galaxy and measure its distance, and we can see one in a distant galaxy and measure its distance, we can figure out how these disk galaxies are, ex are moving. So what we expect, we have gravity, right? Gravity's pulling everything back together. So things are expanding apart, but gravity should be slowing them down over time. So if gravity was the only force acting, then you would think that the more distant galaxies would be moving faster. Right? They're far away from us. We're looking at them in an earlier time. They should have been expanding faster. And over the intervening billions of years, gravity has slowly slowed them down. They're not stopping. They're not coming back at us. But they're slowly slowing down. It makes sense. It's that ball going up in the air and coming back down to us, right? It should be slowing down on its upward trajectory. So if we were looking 
And so they look like they're, so in terms of Hubble's law, Hubble's law was just a straight line. Hubble's law said they were all the same. That was just an approximation. But you'd think that they're going a little, they should be going a little bit faster. And how much faster might tell us something about the density of the universe. We might actually be able to get measurements of the density of the universe that way. Instead of looking for all this dark matter, we can get a direct measurement that way. But what we find when we look at them is not a decelerating universe, but an accelerating universe. The universe is actually moving faster. So that means when we look at those distant galaxies, the distant galaxies are moving slower relatively than the nearby galaxies relative to Hubble's law. The distant galaxies were actually moving slower, and now the galaxies are actually moving faster and faster away. That doesn't make sense, right? Gravity can't push things away. Gravity can only pull things together. So there's something else that has to be happening, perhaps, to cause this. And you see all, the, all these observations up here of the different, super, of the different supernovae. You know, fits Hubble's law very good, but when you get very far out, you start to see, OK, there's a static universe, there's a decelerating universe that's slowing down, and there's an accelerating universe that's, slow, that's speeding up. Well, the points are pretty emphatic that it's almost all to one side. It's not like they're just gathered right around it, but they're all almost going to the right-hand side. They're pointing towards an accelerating universe. So the things that could be, so that means it looks like the universe is expanding faster. Now the only difference would be is that if there's a difference in the supernovae billions of years ago, were they different? But we can't come up with a good reason as to why a white dwarf star that formed you know, 10 billion years ago or 15, 12 billion years ago would be any different than one that formed now. Because they're formed in the core of the star. It doesn't depend on any other elements having formed in it. It would have been, should have been the same core of the star. So it's a very interesting prospect that not only are we open, does it look like it's an open universe, and not only is it expanding, but it's not even slowing down, it's accelerating and moving faster and faster. So, how do we exp- how does that explain? There's actually in in Einstein's equations, there's actually a constant called the cosmological constant that was in and out and in. He put it he put it in originally when he did his equations. He put it in to sort of make the universe stay still because. 100 years ago, it wasn't thought that there, we didn't know about the expansion of the universe. So he put it in to explain why the universe wasn't expanding. It's not wrong. The, const, the constant is perfectly allowed in the math. You know, you can put it in. There could be a constant. It could be positive or negative or anything. But he put it in specifically to explain why that, why the universe was not expanding. And, you know, as he said, it was one of his biggest blunders at the time. Why did he do that? He didn't need to, you didn't need to put the constant in. But depending on what value you put into his equations, and we're not going through all of his equations, trust me, I'd need a couple classes to go through first before I could even go over them with you. So. But if there's nothing, if there is a cosmological, depending on what the value is for it, you can either collapse the universe if you make it negative. doesn't look like we're there. It can expand forever. Or, which is where he put it, there's a constant static universe in here that just keeps its statics pretty much staying the same, just almost staying the same. Or you can be accelerating. And as you get that value larger and larger, you can 
make the universe expand faster. And what they look at it as is a new thing called dark energy. And I know a couple of you have looked at this because I've read some about it in some of your article reviews. So you've read some articles on it, which is, in which is interesting. And it, it, what it is, it's a new for, it's another form of energy that we don't see. So sort of like dark matter was matter that we don't see, here is a dark energy that we really do not see. But it's there in the universe and it may cause some sort of pressure that actually pushes things apart. So this dark, dark energy that permeates the universe may actually be causing things to accelerate away faster than they would otherwise. Because, as I said, we'd expect from gravity, we'd expect them to slow down. We'd expect them to be going slower and slower. But they're not. They're speeding up based on our observations. Again, unless something comes back in 15, 20 years and says our observations were wrong and we start over again. That often happens too. Okay, so that's what's happening. How did we discover it in the first place? The Big Bang was predicted before, before and it actually made a prediction that there should be a radiation permeating the universe from this explosion. So if there was this Big Bang explosion that created the universe, there should be remnants of it uniformly throughout the universe, throughout the universe, spread out. And this was discovered in 1964, not because they were looking for it, but because these radio astronomers pictured here were actually using a very different style, horn style radio telescope, and they were trying to get rid of all the noise. So they were trying to get rid of all the noise from the Earth. They were trying to account for all the noise on the Earth. They were trying to account for any radio sources in the sky. And as they got rid of everything, there was still a last little bit of noise that they could not get rid of. They found that it was coming from everywhere in the sky. It wasn't coming from just one spot of the sky or more in one part of the sky than the other. It was coming uniformly everywhere in the sky. So it wasn't attached to the Earth and it wasn't attached to anything, any place specific in space. It was just everywhere. So it was all directions, all the time, and it was always the same amount. And what they were detecting was actually the photons left over. Those gamma ray photons that formed the Big Bang, the real intense energy that was released when the universe formed, was then spreading out. And as I showed you at the beginning, we saw that balloon. You, over time, over the 13 billion years since, those wavelengths have just been stretched out as the universe expands. So instead of being high energy gamma rays filling the universe, as it would have been you know, so many billion years ago, now they're radio wave photons. Probably a lot nicer. You know, if they were, at one point they would have been visible light photons and the universe would have been incredibly bright. Now they've stretched out to radio and the universe is bright in radio. At a certain temperature of about three degrees, we can detect radio waves from everywhere in the universe. And that is what they're finding. That's what they found, again, trying to get rid of the noise in their antenna, they were able to find the, what was left over from the Big Bang. So it was a prediction that the Big Bang made that this background should exist. They weren't specifically looking for it, but they actually were able to find that energy. So. When we created these, that was about one second after the Big Bang. This is when, when you talk about the Big Bang, that's when you get to talk about short, short time scales again. We talked about them in supernovae. This is the other time when you get to talk about things where I can say times that actually make sense to you. You know, 100 million years, that's a short time. Or, you know, 20 million years, that's nothing. Even a billion years. But here you're talking about one second after the Big Bang. 
So after one second, the universe was filled with gamma rays. Smooth throughout the universe, all gamma rays. As it goes on, and again, this, this shape should look very familiar. That's that black body curve that we looked at before. So it gets, the peak is in the gamma rays. After about, about 100,000 years, it shifted. The universe had expanded a lot, and those wavelengths had all been stretched out to optical. So if you could go back to 100,000 years after the Big Bang, the universe would have optical photon, visible light. So the universe would all be incredibly bright. It would just be filled with this whole glow. Would have been real difficult to do astronomy. You wouldn't be able to see a dark night sky because there wouldn't have been anything. But over time, that's gotten stretched out more. Of course, the good thing is for that is that 100,000 years after the Big Bang, we didn't have galaxies or stars or planets yet either, so it really didn't matter too much for the astronomers. But as you stretch it out further, 10 million years ago, it would have been stretched out into the infrared, and now it's gone out into the radio. And then slowly over the next few billion years, it'll keep getting cooler and cooler and cooler. But it ends up with this black body curve. Again, the same as we see for the sun. We looked at something just like this for the sun in terms of the curve, and we said the peak told us, told us the temperature. Now this peak tells us that the temperature of space, because this fills all of space, is about 3 degrees. 3 degrees above absolute zero, not 3 degrees Fahrenheit, not 3 degrees Celsius. 3 degrees above the coldest possible temperature you can have. And as we continue to measure that, it really fits the curve very well. You don't get a lot of things in science that fit so nicely and perfectly like this. But we make measurements at all different frequencies, going out to very, very low frequencies on the left-hand side, to relatively high frequencies. And boy, you fit that curve almost perfectly. And I said, you don't see a lot of things in science that do that, but we've been able to measure a lot with great accuracy. So we do see this background radiation. It comes from everywhere. It's extremely uniform. It's almost, almost identical in every direction. So we'll see that there's a few minor variations, but they're incredibly small. But it's very exact. I mean, that fits that curve tremendously well. And again, that's just measurements taken. We measure how much we see at each different frequency in the radio part of the spectrum. Once you get much further out, it drops very, very quickly. Once you get towards the much higher frequencies, you don't see anything. So there's nothing left in terms of you know, visible or infrared any longer in the universe. In terms of this background radiation, there are from other, other objects. So if we look at the universe in total, we have matter and energy. And as the universe went through, this is sort of a time frame for the universe going from the origin of the universe down here into, well, here's about 10 billion years, so we're a little bit past here right now, time since the Big Bang. In the very early part of the universe, it was dominated by the radiation. So matter played very little of a role for the first almost 100,000 years, 10, about, about 50,000 years or so. Didn't play as big of a role. The radiation dominated everything. At some point, the radiation drops off much quicker than the matter. So it, has, it crosses over, and at some point, we get to a matter-dominated universe. So the matter density is much greater than the radiation density. It's expanded enough that the matter is taking, oh, taking over. That's when, we start, that's when we form the galaxies, the quasars, all the active galaxies, all formed in this era. What we're apparently getting to now 
is this dark energy stays the same. So it was, it was meaningless early in the universe. It didn't do much of anything. Because it was so much lower than the densities of either radiation or matter. It was much, much less. But as it got, as we continued, it stays the same. Everything else decreases, but the dark energy density stays the same. And because it stays the same, there comes to a point which was, well, a billion, billion, couple billion years after the Big Bang, where dark energy takes over and becomes the dominant form of matter slash energy in the universe. So dark energy becomes more and more important and continues to become more and more important. So what does that mean? Does that mean we're going to be expanding away fast as dark energy becomes more important and matter less that you're going to expand even faster over time as you get further out in the as you get further and further out in the universe as we get further and further out in time I should say that the universe could be expanding even faster and faster it could be accelerating things even more as dark energy seems to take over. So and again that's the explanation to explain what we're seeing right now. I can't tell you that if you come back and take the course again in 10 years that there might not be something completely different and you might have something, oh, we used to think about dark energy but now and then 10 years after that it'll be something completely different. One of the wonderful things of science, you can keep, it, keeps, it keeps changing. Alright, so what happened early on? We'll get started on this before, before lab time. The first thing that formed, so after we had that very, very early era in the universe when it started forming, it was incredibly hot and you couldn't even form, couldn't even form a proton. So it was so hot that protons were torn apart. Protons would, would form first. So as you had started to form protons and neutrons, so essentially hydrogen atoms started to form first. So the protons would start to form. And then once you start forming protons, Again, hydrogen is the very simple one. That's something that you could form. Once you started that, this diagram should look familiar. Right? When we talked about the sun and talked about the stars and how they produce their energy. Well, at one point, the universe would have been like a giant star. It would have been hot enough. It would have been 15 million degrees. So protons and neutrons still could have been there. And they would be fusing to form deuterium and helium and then into helium-4. So you'd actually be fusing hydrogen to helium in the universe. So at one point, the universe was like a giant star, fusing hydrogen to helium. It didn't last for a very long time. And it was never dense enough to get anything past that. So when we look at everything in the universe, this is the extent to which production occurred in terms of hydrogen and helium. That was it. Bless you. It formed hydrogen and helium. So the very earliest universe was made up of hydrogen and helium and nothing else. No carbon, no oxygen, no nitrogen, nothing else in there. Everything else that we see now had to come in stars and in, in supernovae explosions later on. So the very earliest stars that would have formed would also have been made only of hydrogen and helium. Everything else would have come, has come since then. Deuterium. It's an interesting one because that helps us understand the universe a little bit too. Most of the deuterium was fused into helium as soon as it was formed. Deuterium burns a lot quicker than hydrogen. It needs a lower temperature. So it, most of it goes away, right, it goes, disappears right away. It forms and then it disappears. And that's why I say it's not formed in stars. 
It is. I told you about the proton-proton chain, right? We formed deuterium and then deuterium went into something else. But the deuterium all gets burned up. So we don't see any of it. So deuterium that we see around today was formed in the early universe. Because you would have been forming some and as the universe expanded at one point it would have dropped below that temperature and would have left some of that deuterium behind. That makes up what we see today. So deuterium is not made in stars in that, yes it is, but it all trapped in the star and forms into helium and never gets out of the star. So there's no way to get deuterium out. So all the deuterium that we see today was formed in the early history of the universe. Come on. Trying to tell me something there. There we go. So we'll finish up right about with this one. I don't think we'll quite get through this one. but So what happens is that you see this is when everything starts to combine. So when you look back at the universe, you're looking back out in time here. There's an edge that we can see. This edge is that microwave background. That's what we can see. We can't see beyond that. There was time before that. That's when the universe was very, very young. But before that, the universe was opaque. We couldn't see through it. Sort of like trying to see through this to the center of the sun. We can't see to the center of the sun. We can't see to the center of the sun because it's, it is opaque to us. We can't see through it. Well, we couldn't see through it here because you had all these hydrogen atoms. Well, no hydrogen atoms. You had all these hydrogen nuclei. And they were very good at absorbing all of that energy. So all the energy that was flowing around wasn't escaping out, into, out to, toward, to escape to us. It was constantly being absorbed and re-emitted and never came to us directly. As the universe cooled off, once it reached a critical temperature, all of a sudden you're going from having proton and electron here to combining them. And all of a sudden, at that instant, the universe becomes transparent. As most of those combine, the universe becomes transparent. And there's where we can see what we call the decoupling, when matter and energy sort of decoupled from each other. And we can see then radiation flowing. So that's the edge that we see as the microwave background. There's a little bit before it that we can't see. Not too long. Remember, it was a very, all this was occurring in a matter of talk about hours and seconds and microseconds and nanoseconds and you know tiny, tiny fractions of a second. But that's where we see this cosmic background radiation from. Once everything, once we actually started to form hydrogen atoms and made the universe transparent. Before that, we couldn't see the universe. We couldn't see it as a object. We couldn't actually see anything out there. So I'm going to stop and come back because we're about out of time. So I'm going to stop and do this one so you can take your break and then we'll come back and do another wonderful lab. So questions? Questions? No? Okay. See you in a little bit.